0: All right, if you've turned with me, we'll be in Jonah chapter 1, beginning in that last verse, chapter 1, verse 17 through chapter 2. Would you give attention to God's word with me? And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains." And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for His glory. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning. We ask that you would, you would show us, you would, you would use your, your spirit to tell us this morning what you have for us here. You would use... Your Word this morning to draw our hearts to You, to encourage us and equip us, to confront us and convict us of our sin, and draw us to the cross of Christ. We pray this morning that Your Spirit would do these things in our hearts, that we might have greater love for You, greater faith for You, because of Your Word. We pray this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. can be seated. As I alluded to there before, we read I, I was at Capernaum Camp all week. If you're not familiar with uh, Capernaum, it's um, the ministry of young life to those with with disabilities, physical or intellectual disabilities, and it's awesome. It's awesome. I was there with, with Luke Martin, who you, you just heard respond from the congregation. We're, we're turning into Baptists here. Going to get some Amens maybe later, but it's fantastic. And this is my third year going, and, and there's so many things to love about it. And I'd be happy to tell you all about them. But, but one of the things that's really fun is this time after dinner. Um, a, a couple of the nights, there's this thing called Sweet Skills. Um, it's, it's a ridiculous name. It's really just a time for the buddies to take our friends, the campers, to go do something after dinner before we have our nightly meeting and for those that are the leaders of the trips to go and learn about, like, what's tomorrow going to entail and, and what do you need to know about the rest of the night. And you can go and do things like paint. Um, you, can, you can go paint nails. Uh, you can go practice basketball. Um, ben and I went to play Frisbee uh, one, one day after dinner, um, which really meant that, that Ben looked at me and threw the Frisbee in the opposite direction of me and then laughed at me. And then when our friend Matt walked up, he threw the frisbee right to Matt, and I was like, you... I won't forget it, Ben. But one of my favorites is you can go fishing in the pond. I love to fish. Um, and, and this year, none of um, my friends went fishing, so I didn't get a chance to go, but I got to hear the fish tales. You know, if you've ever been fishing, fish grow after you've caught them. It's amazing. It's miraculous. Like. You know, you, you, you catch a fish and then over time it just, as the story is told again and again throughout the day or, or you know, over the, the, the months or the years, the fish just continues to grow. And, and this year I got to hear about uh, one guy was talking about, not about his, his this year's camp trip, but about last year's trip he was there. And his buddy caught a 50-pound catfish in the lake at Rockbridge. If you've ever been to Rockbridge, it's a lake that's not big enough for a motorboat. I mean, maybe a kayak or a paddleboard, but it's not big enough for a, a motorboat. And, and there are no 50-pound catfish there, but his buddy caught one. And then there, there, more, more stories came out about that. And, and what we know is that those fishtails grow and they become unbelievable. And when we turn to a passage this morning, a lot of times we get fixated on how big this fish is. Or depending on what, what you know translation of the Bible you're reading, how big the whale is. And we get fixated on it, and, and it becomes this thing that hangs up in our mind, and, and, and you know, is it, it's this unbelievable tale. But the fish isn't the main point of the story this morning. It's not the main, the main point of our passage. See, our passage, if you just look at the structure of the passage, the first verse and the last verse that we just read starts with some action. The Lord appointed, you know, you do the dot, 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 and, and then... You pick it up at the last verse of our passage and it's, and the Lord spoke. So we can get fixated on this fish and, and, and forget that the fish isn't the central character of this, this passage. The fish isn't the hero. Jonah's not the central character of this passage. Nineveh, not the central character. The sailors, the captain. Throughout the whole book of Jonah, none of them are the central character of the hero. The hero is not the great fish, it's the great God. It's this merciful and gracious God who is pursuing Jonah. And so as we look this morning, we don't need to get caught up on, on this one tree and miss the forest. We need to take a step back and, and realize that, that, that the fish is just a tool that, the, that God used. And instead, we need to see how God provides this morning and, and see Jonah's prayer and then see, see God's commitment to Jonah and to us and to the nations this morning. We see God's provision right there in verse 1. The the Lord appoints this great fish. The Lord appoints this great fish to what? To swallow up Jonah. You know, Jonah has been thrown overboard by these sailors last week as they exacted God's justice on him from his rebellion and running from God he hits the water, and, and, and I don't care how great of a swimmer you are. You could be a Navy SEAL, and, and if land's not close enough and there's not another boat coming by, there's only so long you can tread before you will sink. And Jonah hits the water, and he's got to think, this is the end of my life. God has been pursuing me because I was running. God, God's been pursuing me because I was fleeing from His presence. God's been pursuing me because I was so hard-hearted against Nineveh. And now God's exacting His justice on me. He's got me. And this is how I will die. And, and, and we look at the parts in our life that we're struggling. The, 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 the strife in, in our life. The, the discontentment that the Lord has put in our lives. And we think it's His judgment. We, we often look at those places in life and go, This is God's judgment against me. He's been pursuing me so He can condemn me. No, He's been pursuing Jonah. Jonah so he can save Jonah. He's pursuing Jonah, so he can show Jonah not his condemnation, not his judgment, but he can show him his mercy and his faithfulness. It's the same for us. And, and this, this salvation, it's not just something for the past or this golden ticket to the future. It's, it's a salvation for these moments in life right now. Some of you might be here this morning and you might be in the throes of struggle and of depression. You might be in the depths and feel like you're sinking and you're wondering, where's God? And and you've resigned yourself to this is what it's going to be. God's judging me because of my my, my sins. God's, God's got it out for me. But no, He's pursuing you. Those places in life that are harder because God is trying to grow you. He's providing salvation for you. It just doesn't always look like we think it's going to. You know, Jonah didn't jump in the water and think, God's going to save me. I'm going to get swallowed by a big fish. I don't think that was his first thought. In fact, as he gets swallowed by the fish, he probably begins to think, well, I was going to drown. And I mean, if I had to choose between drowning and, and dying inside of a fish, I'm probably choosing drowning. It seems faster. It seems less painful and agonizing. You know, stomach acid eating at you for day upon day upon day is not appetizing. There, there's no thrill in that. I'd probably choose drowning. So he gets swallowed by the fish and probably thinks, oh, God's going to prolong now my suffering and my judgment. I'm being kicked while I'm down. Thanks a lot, God. You ever thought that? But, but, but God is using this. You know, the gospel doesn't look like salvation. It's folly to the eyes of the world. To, to, to give up our lives, to give up our autonomy, to, to give up our, 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 our you know, sense of freedom, to, to what, to lay down our lives and to take up our crosses? To, to, to give them over to someone else? It's the folly in the world's eyes. Salvation doesn't always look like what we think it's going to look like and in our strife, and in our struggles, and our, and our pain, and the hard places of life, they are often the very things God is using to draw us back to himself. And we look at them, and we think, God's not, God doesn't use these kind of things. He only uses, you know, good and fun things, and no, he uses hard things, because it, until we get to the end of ourselves, we don't run to him for salvation, right? We saw that last week with the sailors. They, they the storm's there, and, and, and they're praying to these worthless idols, and then they realize, okay, the worthless idols aren't working, and so they, they, they cast the lots. Where's the evil from? Well, it's from Jonah. Jonah did this to us. Jonah, what should we do? Well, we sh- you should throw me overboard. No, we're going to row really hard back to shore. And it's not until they realize that, the, that their prayers to worthless idols and the works of their hands won't save them that they finally turn to God and pray. He uses the difficulties of our lives to draw us back to Him, to, to, to put us at wit's end so that we will finally turn and run to Him. And it takes time. You know, we, we read this, and often, at least when I first read it, I think Jonah jumps in the wall, gets thrown in the water, you know, he's, he treads for a little bit, and now he's, he's finally drowning, and the fish comes along and swallows him, and then he prays. But in the Hebrew and in the English, it's not exactly laid out like that. It says, The Lord appoints the great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Then Jonah prays. How long do you have to sit in darkness and misery before you turn to God? How how, how long... Do you have to sit there in your anger, in your resentment, right? I mean, that's what happens often. Things come to us that are hard and that are difficult. And and our our first response is what? To to wave our fist at God. This is unfair, God. How could you put this in my life, God? How could you let this happen, God? Jonah doesn't tell us that, but it doesn't take much of an imagination to figure out that that might be what he's doing. These three days and three nights in pitch black can't really tell time. He didn't, you know, his, his time doesn't work. And his sundial doesn't pick up light. He's just sitting in darkness. We, we, we do the same in our, in our own lives. And in these places where God has brought things, we sit in them and, and, and we grow angry and resentful of Him. How could you do this? Or instead of angry and resentful at, at Him, we, we may be, grow angry and resentful at ourselves. You know, jo- Jonah well, as we'll see when we look at his prayer, doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about what caused all of this. And we do that. And in some of our struggles, we've actually, you know, maybe begin to realize our sin brought it on us. And so we grow angry with ourselves. And in our anger with ourselves, we say things like, how stupid can I be? If I just would have listened the first time, this wouldn't have happened. If I just would have obeyed, it wouldn't have happened. And as we continue to sit in it, we still haven't turned to God, we kind of just resign ourselves to this is how it's going to be. This is my lot in life. Jonah's probably begun to think I was going to drown and now I'm going to die inside the fish. And more and more time passes and God uses this time in the fish to not just preserve his life, but to turn his heart. But to turn his heart. Three days and three nights and for the first time in the book of Jonah, Jonah finally turns to God. finally turns to God. Look, some of you are here this morning and you are running. You are fleeing from God. And I, and I, I don't really know why. I mean, it could be because of some pattern of sin that you're in that you just can't work yourself out of. Or some past awful thing you think you've done. And so you are trying your best to run and flee from God. And you're here this morning because... You know, you're a good Virginian, and and you show up to church on Sundays. That's what you do. That's just our culture. It's who we are. We talked last week, we can't really run or flee from God. That's not, it's not possible. But but in your running and fleeing, you, you might have a little voice that says, just stop, repent, cry out to God. And there's the moment where you think, okay, maybe I'm going to do that. And then this louder voice says, no, you're too far gone. You're too deep in it now. God's just going to condemn you and judge you and send you away. That voice is a lie. And yet we believe it time and time and time again. How do we know it's a lie? Look what Jonah says. Look what Jonah says. He says, I called out to the Lord... And he answered me. This is Jonah. You know, the the joke of a prophet that we met last week. Who's rebellious. And and we don't know it yet, but in a a, a couple more page turns, or one if you're in my Bible and the the font's the same size, we're going to find out why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because he doesn't want them to know the grace and mercy of God. Jonah's really a racist. And he doesn't think the Ninevites deserve God's grace or mercy. And yet, when he cries out, God answers. I don't care how far you are from the Lord or how far you think you've gone. God is in the business that when his children cry out, he answers them just like any parent would, just like any parent would, and yet, even as we see god 's provision for Jonah, we, we, we see his heart begin to change, and, and then he 's praying now it 's not complete right let, let 's look at his, his prayer in, in uh, Jonah chapter two. It's this beautiful hymn of thanksgiving, and it, it borrows all kinds of language and words from uh, the Psalms. In fact, most commentators think that, that Jonah's prayer was actually a, a hymn of thanksgiving, a psalm of thanksgiving that had already been written, that he had memorized maybe as a child, and it was something that came back to him in, in his distress. And so he's, he's praying this, and it's this beautifully rich hymn of thanksgiving in my distress, I called out and you answered. And then he, he spends time in verses three to six, acknowledging that it was the hand of God at work this whole time. He, he, he looks at it and says, God, it was you who hurled me into the sea. It wasn't the sailors. They were just the tool you used. It was you who hurled me in. And these are your waves and your crashers. This is your ocean. You know, often we we look at our circumstances. And when they're not good, we look for somebody to blame. We, We want to cast blame somewhere because if we can blame somebody else for our problems, we can feel a little bit better about ourselves. But Jonah doesn't blame shift here. He doesn't spend time around the table, you know, blamestorming, trying to figure out who he's going to blame. In fact, by this point, he's already forgiven the sailors, it seems. Like, he, it was you, God, not them. You see, what happens is when we begin to, to look at our circumstances and blame other people or even blame fully ourselves, in, 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 in a not-so-small way, we begin to, to lose sight of the sovereign hand of God that's in play. And that's hard. But but when we do that, we actually lose sight of the fact of what's happening is God is using this circumstance to pursue my heart, to to, to change my heart. And what happens when we begin to blame others for our circumstances, we begin to grow bitter. We begin to grow angry and, and frustrated and even cynical towards the people in our lives that God is actually trying to use to call us back to himself. Jonah doesn't do that, though. He he sees God's hand is at work. So it's the God of all creation who hurled him overboard. The God that he claimed to be in fear of when he made his high confession to the sailors. And it's the same God, he says, that saves him, that brings him up from the depths And then verse 8, he, he condemns those who would worship idols. You know, he, he's praying to God, and he's saying, and, 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 and if someone's praying to those, those, those vain idols, they've lost hope in the steadfast love of God. And it seems really good, right? I mean, it, to condemn sin is not a bad thing. But, but Jonah's looking at the speck in somebody else's eye, and he's missing himself because we don't know who he's referencing. Maybe he's referencing the sailors because they were praying to idols. Or he's referencing Nineveh where he he knows he's being sent. But both of those, the sailors already have repented and turned to the Lord. And and spoiler, when we get a little bit further in the book, Nineveh's going to repent and turn as well. The only person still running from the Lord, the only person still living in sin and unrepentantly is Jonah. So he's condemning someone else's sin but just glossing over his own. And then finally, he rightly realizes that his salvation is from God and God alone. He quotes Psalm 3. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing beyond your people. Salvation can't come from anywhere else. God is the author and the perfecter of our faith. You know, I, I just mentioned we saw it in the sailors, they realize their idols don't work, they're worthless. Their, their, their works don't work, they're worthless. Jonah realizes here, right, he's, he's retelling god's salvation for him and it, and he could have, maybe he could have dreamed up a different way to tell it he could have said you know they threw me overboard and i treaded water for a while and then as it began to drown i saw a big fish over there and so i like made myself look like fish bait and and you know i attracted the fish with my my movements in the water and out of my own wisdom i knew the fish would swallow me and keep me alive for three days no that's ridiculous He acknowledges rightly it is God and God alone that salvation comes from. How often do we take credit for our salvation? How how often do we try to be and provide for our own salvation? you, You could look at it like, you know, Jonah could have been the lure himself or it could have been like that dance move where like, you know, God threw the hook out and then, you know, Jonah. No, it's just, it's a work of the Lord. The Lord appointed the fish and the fish did the work. In your life, in my life, it is a work of the Lord that draws us to him. Monergistically, one power. Salvation belongs to our God. it's this beautiful prayer, but what's missing in his prayer? What's missing in his prayer? Well, one, it's, um, it's missing a confession of sin. You know, I, I talked about how in verse 8 he rightly condemns these, these worship worshiping these vain idols, but he glosses over his own sin. This whole beautiful hymn of thanksgiving, Jonah never admits his guilt, never confesses that it was his own sin that led to this place. Never admits his role in this. He amplifies the sin of others Just glosses right past us. Where do you amplify the sin of others? We do this. We subtly do this in our own lives. We we, we look around us and we amplify the sins of others. Maybe, maybe, you know, they don't manage their money well. That's why they're they're struggling right now. Or they don't, I would not have made that parenting decision. Or, 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 Or maybe it's the friends of yours or or family members who who are just seem to constantly be struggling And, and you see that it's their own sin that brought it on them and you think to yourself if they would just get their act together this wouldn't happen and we raise up the sins of others and we forget that the grace that's been freely offered to us is freely offered to us because we don't bring anything to the table except for our sin and in amplifying others and in glossing over ours, we give ourselves this false sense of security and this false sense of superiority. Jonah reveals in his prayer our needs for real repentance because he, he, he repents partially, right? As, as he closes out his prayer, he says, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you, I'll worship you, and what I have vowed I will pay. He hasn't made any vows? kind of false empty promises he's given to God right now? he, He might sacrifice to him, he says he's going to, but he hasn't made any vows. In fact, the Lord called him to go to Nineveh and he ran in the opposite direction. He hasn't acknowledged that yet at all. There's been no vow made. What's really happening in his prayer? I mean, he's praising God. God, you saved me. God, you did all these things. God, you're awesome. With a heart of thanksgiving, God, I worship you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna commit myself to you even greater. What he's doing is saying, Deliver me from this. Deliver me, O oh God. His cries are for relief. They're not for salvation, they're not for transformation. How often is that the cry of our hearts? How often is the cry for us to be relieved of the pain and the suffering and the struggle and not really deal with the heart? See, if all we want is a change in our circumstances, we will reject God's pursuing grace. And we will leave his call on our lives unanswered. If, if, if all we want is relief, if our, if our cry for relief is greater than our cries for a changed heart, for, for, for salvation, we won't ever grow as Christians. It's a work of the Spirit that brings us there. But it works out in our lives, looking like, God, show me how you're using this. God, open my eyes that I might see the work of your hand in my life. I might trust you with greater faith. I might follow you with greater obedience. See, if we repent and we rest in Christ, He gives us a joy and a peace beyond understanding that lets us walk in His ways with new obedience, even amidst the struggle and the strife. Is your repenting complete, or is it a half hearted cry for relief? Are you crying out for transformation? Are you crying out for salvation? Or are you just crying out to be delivered? From whatever's hard in life. I grew up uh, not not far from here but one of our neighbors I lived a few houses up the street was this guy named Johnny Oates and uh, Johnny um, was a baseball player, major league baseball player, he was a great catcher and then he was, uh, he was a manager and so by the time I, 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 I was his neighbor, he was just a manager he wasn't a baseball player any longer but he was the manager for the Texas Rangers and he um, he got diagnosed with cancer and he went to church with our family and his family went to church with us. And, and I, I got to watch this man who was a, he was a big deal. He was the manager of the Texas Rangers. And he, he was faithful in his church attendance, even as he was struggling with cancer until it began to just whittle away at his strength. And, and, and he was living life, you know, more and more just in pain. But we, we would get these letters from him that would be read at in, in our services and there were letters thanking us for the visits and the flowers and the cards, thanking us for our prayers, thanking us for the meals that were being brought to his family. And, and, and then praying with us and, and, and over us that, that God would use his circumstances, that God would use his suffering for his glory to, to change the hearts and the lives of his children, to, to, to work itself out in our church, that his suffering might be for our good and for his good. And it was this beautiful thing to see someone who, who really was living out his faith, not crying for relief. I'm sure he would love to have had that. But, but God, in, in, in the power of the Spirit, was working through him in a way that, that Johnny was being able to see in my life, in my suffering, others might see and know God and know salvation. It was this, this, this beautiful thing. Our cries, our hearts, our prayers can be cries of transformation and not relief because we have a God who is committed to us. We have a God who is committed to us. And in verse 10, we see that the Lord, it's this bookend, it's the other part of the sandwich of the bread. The Lord speaks to the fish and it vomits Jonah out upon dry land. You know, this, this language here of... of Swallowing and and, and vomiting is is language that's tied together in the Old Testament a whole lot. It's language of judgment. It's language of judgment. And and, and what it's saying is Jonah's kind of been through the ringer. God's judgment's now been upon him. He's been swallowed and spit out. It's almost like the hollowness of his prayer rings in God's ears. And God's like, all right, let's, let's see it in action now. Because if this was a, a, a hymn of thanksgiving, a psalm of thanksgiving that was known, the had memorized, it's like a lot of us. We, we, we can, many, many of you could probably sing almost the whole hymnal from, from memory. It's absurd. But all of us probably have two or three of them that are so dear to our heart that, that if somebody asked you to sing it, you, you could sing most of it from memory. The question is, is when we're singing it, is it just our lips moving or our hearts with it too? That's the question for Jonah here, as is, is this fish spits him out on dry land. I'm not done with you, Jonah. You're not dying, Jonah. That's why Jonah's able to pray these things, right? He's able to pray, I'm going to sacrifice to you and I'm going to fulfill my vow, because he probably thinks he's still dying. And God says, nope. God's still got plans for you, Jonah. Still got things in your life we're going to work through, Jonah. And, and, and the question comes, so Jonah, what, what, were those prayers of your lips also prayers of your heart? You're worshiping with me with your, with your mouth, but are you also worshiping with me with your heart? It's a question for us every Sunday morning, every day of our lives. Are you worshiping him with just, just your outward appearance, just with your lips, or, or is, do you have a contrite heart? Are you worshiping there? Spits him out and says, okay, Jonah, I want to see you walk the walk. Now that you've talked the talk, let's see this lived out in front of the world. And we'll get to what happens with that in these next few weeks. But Jonah's story is one again and again where we, where we see God's commitment to Jonah and to his purposes. We saw it last week, his purposes that the nations might know his glory and know salvation. And he starts with the sailors instead of with Nineveh because Jonah was rebellious. And and, and this week, he shows Jonah's salvation to begin to soften his heart, to change his heart, because he's going to call him once again to go to Nineveh. But for this moment, it's one where he's showing Jonah his commitment to Jonah. We need the relentless pursuit of God's grace. And the story of Jonah gets carried for us. It doesn't end for us when we get to the end of chapter 4. Because that relentless pursuit of God's grace doesn't end with Jonah or with Nineveh. It gets carried forward forward into the New Testament, right? Matthew chapter 12. The the, the scribes and the Pharisees are are begging Jesus for a sign. Now, here's the thing. They've had lots of signs. Jesus has done miraculous work. So they're they're not really asking for a sign. They want something else. But he's asking, they're, they're saying, give us a sign. And he says to them, no sign will be given to this wicked generation except for the sign of Jonah, who spent three days and three nights in the belly, and one who is greater than Jonah will spend three days in the belly of the earth. Jesus knew, Jesus knew distress, just like Jonah. He knew hardship and suffering, but not because of disobedience like Jonah, but because of his obedience to the Father. He who was greater than Jonah knew the struggle and the strife and the pain because of his obedience, because he was the perfect atoning sacrifice for rebellious spirits and hearts. He knew what it was going to cost. Now, Jonah runs from his enemies, and Jesus runs to his enemies. He runs to you. He runs to me. And he knows it's going to cost his life. And Hebrews tells us that what he does it all with the joy set before him. What's that joy? That, that we would be his brothers and sisters. That, that, that his life laid down for us would bring us into God's family, into his family. God's committed to us not because that we can recite some beautiful, elegant prayers like Jonah does or, or recite scripture or recite the hymnal from memory or, or live some pious life. He is committed to us because of who we are united to. He's committed to us because we are united to the one who's greater than Jonah. Who didn't just spend three days in the earth to be spit out, but defeated death. And sin forever and raised from the dead to live and to continue to live. And where Jonah fails, Christ succeeds. Do you see God's pursuit of you in your life? When, when you slow down, can you see his hand at work trying to, 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 to get you to flee from your sin and to run to him so that you can know life? This salvation that, that comes from the Lord that, that Jonah ends his prayer with, you know, I said it earlier, it's not something that's just happened in the past to pay for your sins and to give you some future reality. That, that is true. But it's a salvation for today. For today is the day of salvation. Do you know the salvation of God? Have you stopped long enough in your running and your fleeing to cry out? And to hear him answer? Do you know the God who, who provides and the God who changes hearts and the God who is committed to His people even to the point of death? If you're here this morning and you don't, cry out. Cry out. For He will answer. The story is so much more than a fish tale. It's so much More beautiful than even the the, the biggest fish. Because it's a story of God's grace and mercy to you and me. And it's far greater and far grander than we could ever imagine. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for Jesus, who, because of your commitment to us, laid down his life that we might know your grace that we might experience Your grace. We pray this morning that that, that over this week You would remind us each and every day and every hour of Your commitment to us, of Your love for us. That even in our incomplete repentance, You are pursuing us and drawing us to You, the God of salvation that we might have life and life everlasting. We pray all this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.